So this morning we're going to be looking at Genesis 33. We're going to read the entire chapter. And before we hop in, I want to remind us where we are. So chapter 32 and 33 go really well together because uh, Jacob and all of his household and all of his animals is leaving Laban, his father-in-law, and he's traveling to go meet his brother. And while he's on the way, he sends a messenger ahead of him, and and he reports back that your brother's coming with 400 of his men. And this puts Jacob to worrying and fretting and fearing, and he starts to to try to figure out ways of appeasing his brother, softening his heart. So he sends a gift first to go to, to encounter his brother of... 200 sheep and 200 goats and camels and calves and all sorts of stuff to try to soften his brother's heart, to to buy his brother, it seems like. And then he separates the group even more so that if if he does attack one of the groups, the other group will find safety. Uh, And in this time, he he wrestles with someone that, that says that he's God, that he's seen God face to face and he's wrestled with God and has succeeded and and so there's this time where he gets this new name Israel and and he doesn't quite put on the the full name of Israel yet which means someone that has wrestled with men and God and and so he's still going to be referred to Jacob here he he hasn't quite become Israel yet he's still walking in the flesh and walking by his own power and so after he wrestles um they start moving again, and and here's where we pick up in chapter 33. Um, and if you'll remember the last time you saw Jake, Esau, Esau wanted to kill him 20 years ago because he took his birthright and his blessing from his father. So, so there's just all this strife and angst, and, and Jacob kind of has good reason of fear, except the Lord has spoken to him and said that he would bring him back to his land and, and bring him back well. So here we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 33. Now Jacob lifted his eyes and looked, and there Esau was coming, and with him were four hundred men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two maidservants. And he put the maidservants and their children in front, Leah and her children behind, and Rachel and Joseph last. And then he crossed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him, and embraced him, and fell on his neck, and kissed him, and they wept. And he lifted his eyes, and saw the women and children, and said, Who are these with you? So he said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then he, the maidservants came near, they and their children, and bowed down. And Leah also came near with her children, and they bowed down. Afterwards, Joseph and Rachel came near, and they bowed down. So I'll pause there real quick. It's It's interesting when... When Jacob sees Esau's coming, he, he again splits up his family. He has got uh, 11 kids and four wives. And you can he puts them in a certain order, which may lead us to why certain things happen later on. But he puts the maidservant and, maidservants and their children out front. And then he puts himself. And then he puts Leah behind him and Rachel behind Leah. So he puts them in this order. And it's such an interesting order that, that he sh- he kind of shows who's the most important. He puts in the very, very end. 
And the people that are maybe more expendable to him, he puts in the front. And they realize this. And it is hurtful to see a father playing favorite. It is painful that there will be uh, consequences to, to them acting this way, as him acting this way. But we see that there is nothing that uh, Jacob or his family needs to fear. Esau apparently runs right past them all and runs right to Jacob and gives him a hug and kisses him and weeps. And, and is just so happy to see his brother again after 20 years. That that anger and that hatred for him has dissipated and mellowed over the last 20 years. That he no longer is worried about the blessing. No longer worried about the birthright that was taken. That he, uh, you'll see, has become a, a great nation of his own. That he doesn't need any of that stuff. And he's just more, more happy, to, more joy to, to see his brother again after such a long time. And he says that the children whom God has graciously given your servant, he's acknowledging that, that God has blessed him with these children, and God has blessed him with these uh, maidservants and wives. And they come and they, they bow down, showing you know humbleness and homage to him. And so he starts to question them about the, the groups, the companies that he met, picking up in verse 8. Then Esau said, What do you mean by this company which I met? And he said, These are to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. And Jacob said, No, please, I have, if I have found favor in your sight, then receive my present from my hand, inasmuch as I have seen your face as though I have seen the face of God, and you were pleased with me. Please take my blessing that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. So he urged him, and he took it. So he explains that this is a gift. He's, he's being quite honest to find favor in the sight of Esau. And Esau says, don't worry about it. I've got lots. I've got plenty. Don't worry about it. And, and he says, but I want to give you this present because I've seen your face and it's been you know happy. It's been joyous. It's pleased with me just as the face that he saw of God. And he says, take it. It's a, just let me bless you. And it, it reminds me of... Of Jacob stealing the blessing, stealing the birthright that that was rightfully Esau's. He's paying it back. He's he's making things right. It's, it seems b before Esau and and he urged him, and so Esau eventually he took it. He did receive it, which is good. And then Esau said, verse twelve: Let us take our journey. Let us go, and I will go before you. But Jacob said, My Lord knows that the children are weak. And the flocks and herds which are nursing are with me. And if the men should drive them hard one day, all the flock will die. Please let my Lord go on ahead before his servant. I will lead on slowly at a pace which the livestock that go before me. And the children are able to endure until I come to my Lord and seer. And Esau said, Now let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, What need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. And Jacob journeyed to Succoth, built himself a house, and made booths for the livestock. Therefore the name of the place is called Succoth. Then Jacob came safely to the city of Sheshem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from Padan Aram, and he pitched his tent before the city. And he brought the, bought the parcel of land where he had pitched his tent from the children of Hamor, Sheshem's father, for 100 pieces of money. Then he erected an altar there and called it El Elohi Israel. So we have this this other part where they've met, everything seems fine, and uh, Esau's glad to be back with his brother and glad 
to have them with him. And he says, hey, let me, let's go together. And he says, oh, my flocks are, are nursing. If we were to go real hard one day, they'd die. And so at this point in time, because of what the commentators, the historians see in this, they see that um, they're with ch- children. And then when they get to uh, Session, they build booths for the winter time. So it's probably in the fall, um, uh, late summer. And so uh, he's probably telling the truth here as far as most of the people that he just he he is pleased to go by himself and and uh, esau can return to wherever he wants back to his his home um and yet then again he he says I'll, I'll leave some people with you and maybe jacob's still worried about esau maybe maybe he's not it's really hard to tell in the text when jacob's been a deceiver basically since he was introduced into the story it's hard to tell when he's telling the truth it's hard to tell what his motivations are and so it is with with us when we have got those friends that are always lying that are always telling us stories about why they can't do things it's hard to trust people when they just give you stories and lie and deceit it's hard to tell when they're telling the truth it's hard to tell when they've they've changed and here we see no ill will on either parts and so i think he's telling the truth that it's it's fine that it's not that he's worried about his brother that he's going to go set up his household where where the lord leads him and and he's following the lord now because he had that encounter and he he's now crippled if you remember he he now limps because uh the angel of the lord or, or god who was wrestling with him uh, touched his hip and put it out of socket so now he limps everywhere he goes so he can't go anywhere fast he can't escape from anybody and so he's kind of come come down off of his his high hill his pride and is is going to limp for the rest of his life because of that pride because he won't wouldn't have let go of uh, of his power and his might so he travels not to see her but he travels to succoth uh, where he, he sets up, um, he builds a home that seems more permanent than wandering around, and he builds booths for the animals, and he buys a parcel of land, so he, he intends to stay there. Um, and he erect, erects an altar there and calls it El Elohi Israel. So that El is always is is one of the names of God. That this means God, um, and so it's God's God's place is one of the translations so he's using his his new name in this altar um israel and and this place that he bought that he digs he's going to dig a well and this is the same place that jesus is going to meet the samaritan woman and have a conversation with her uh in the new testament way in the future but this this is the place and i want to show you a few pictures real quick um with that just for your mind so um Esau for the last 20 years has become a great nation. He has taken over this area. I, I don't know how much of it he has at this point in time, but but he's going to be down here at Mount Seir, or if you can see my cursor at the bottom of the screen down here. Um where a lot of the stories happening is actually going to be up north of this a little bit but but the Edomite territory is this big area that goes off to the southeast from the Dead Sea and so this whole area here 
um, is a, a valley between two mountains. And you may have seen some of the uh, ruins. They're pretty famous. This is Petra. And so Petra is carved out of the red stone, which is where Esau set up his kingdom, as it were. And so we have uh, these red stone buildings that come from the family of Esau. So anytime you see Petra or, so this was an Indiana Jones or anything in this area, it was all because of Esau and his descendants. And so they built this um, kind of this kingdom just south of where Israel would be, which is up here in the north. Because Jerusalem's up here and and so this is kind of the the area, they're, they're separated. He's He lives south down here. And if you remember, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah was probably in this area here, just south of the Dead Sea. Um, so we've we've been kind of hanging out in this area. So this is Mount Seir where he is, and he's um, going to live up here towards Succoth. So there's that, and there's that. Um, so these are real places with real people and real descendants, and they would they would survive and live for the next couple thousand years. Um, and they would in, invade. Uh, eventually, the Israelites who were in this area would get taken away into captivity, and they would the Edomites would push out into this uh, Arava Valley to to take more land. They were very unfriendly to the Israelites after after the brothers died and passed on. We'll come back to them. They're they're going to be in the Old Testament often. Um, but so before we move on and finish today, I want to point us to our, toward a couple verses about what picture we see with Esau and Jacob, where Jacob was afraid of Esau, and he didn't have to be. He saw a face of forgiveness, of receiving him without any problem, with hugs and kisses, and and this... This is like a really great picture and model of God and and the way that he receives us. He's looking forward to receiving us. He's bringing us, you know, f- uh, 400 men, a parade, a, a great host. They're going to celebrate at our coming because God has always wanted us to come to him. God is constantly seeking this out. And so there's this, this great example of Esau and Jacob that, that we see God and, and humanity, that we're worried about God, that we're worried that he's going to be angry at us because we've sinned. We're worried about God, that he's not going to accept us because I've done, you know, the A, B, C, and D, and and we don't think that God should accept us or receive us. And, and this is a beautiful picture of Esau just welcoming his brother to him. He has forgiveness. He has, uh, he's just lovingly wanting to, care for his brother, sending a host with him and walking with him and everything. And and so we see this as a great picture and model that, that Christ has given us because while we still hated Christ, while we still hated God, Christ came into the world to reconcile us with the Father. And so we, we have his example and we can see here in Ephesians four thirty one and 32, like, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. So it's, take all these things that that the world says that are okay. It's okay to talk bad about other people. It's okay to be bitter. God says, no, put it away. 
It's the idea that I tell my children, because there's other passages that say put away lying, is, is like you have a drawer with all your stuff. Just put that in the drawer and close it. Put it away. Yes, you've got access to it. You can't get rid of it. But put it away. Put it out of sight. And instead, instead of these things, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So our model, our example that we have is Christ. And what, what, what did Christ do for us? He, he allowed us to be forgiven by the Father. And so we have this wonderful idea that we need to be reconciled to God because of Christ. We need to not worry about how he's going to receive us because he's already said that he's received us. He's accepted us. He's forgiven our sins. The ones we've done already, the ones we're currently doing, and the one we're going to do. So don't let those sins stop you from coming to the Father. Don't let those sins get in your way. Confess them. Get them. Lay them at the foot of the cross so that you don't have to look at them anymore and just go straight to God. There's there's this wonderful picture of reconciliation. I want, I want to draw your your mind to um, I'm gonna hop right in here. And verse 18 through 21. So this is uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21. Now all these things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed us to us the word of reconciliation. So we were separated. We were we were, had a broken relationship, much like Esau and Jacob. And and through Christ, He's been drawing us back to the Father. He's been trying to get us back into relationship with with God. And and so that is Christ's um, mission. It's His ministry of reconciliation. So we too have that same ministry to draw people back to God. Through Christ, we're supposed to be introducing people to God. We're supposed to be sharing the love that God has. And verse twenty. Now, then, we are ambassadors of, of for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf: be reconciled to God, for He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So that's our job as Christians, as people that love the Lord, is to introduce other people to God and say, hey, 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 this is who God is. This is what he has said. He says he loves you. He says that he forgives your sins. Come to the Father. And this is this is our biggest job. The word ambassadors there is very, very interesting. As as I live in another country and I have, have to, to go to um, all the places because I'm a foreigner. And so there are ambassadors that represent the the other country that I have to talk to, ambassadors of America that live here but aren't Japanese, and I, and through those ambassadors I I, I can do things in my country. So we are also supposed to be ambassadors for Christ, that we're supposed to represent our heavenly kingdom. No matter who we're talking to, no matter where we are, we're to implore people, we're to encourage them to be reconciled to God. He's waiting there longingly for us to be reconciled. There's also the, the story of the the wayward son who 
who takes his, his money, his, um, and he goes, he spends it all, and, and he's just living in squalor because of the way he lived his life. And there's this wonderful image of, of the father seeing his son and is running to him and is reconciled with him. And they put on a big feast and banquet, and, and just how much joy the father has when we come to him. How much joy is in the household when we come back to God. So I encourage you, be reconciled with with God today. Don't let any of your sin get between you and him. Put, Put on Christ. Place your faith entirely on him so that your sins may be covered, your sins may be forgiven, and you can enter into heaven without any issues, without any problems, without uh, worrying about what's going to happen after you die. So We have a wonderful high priest, Jesus Christ, who, who continually will um, make intercession for us so that we won't have to worry. We can have these assurances now that God is, re- is going to forgive our sins. And so that's, that's a great picture that we have of Jacob and Esau back in the Old Testament of, of that, that reconciliation. Lord God, thank you for this morning you've given us. Thank you for this day that we get to learn about your two Esau and Jacob, Lord God. These two brothers that are at odds 20 years ago but are now coming together in such a, a great picture of the way that you want us to come to you, Lord God. And that you'll receive us no matter what we've done, no matter what we think you're going to hold against us or no matter what we think you're going to do you're going to receive us lovingly lord and i praise you for that because we've sinned so much we've done so many things wrong we've said so many things that are ungodly and just against you lord god but you say it doesn't matter you sent your son to pay the price for those things Lord. now we don't have any condemnation anymore we can come freely into you Lord God, help us to remember that we're reconciled to you and that we're new creations. We're your, now you're ambassadors. Not only are we forgiven, but we're also called to go and make disciples, to, to be ambassadors, to introduce other people to you, Lord God. Help us to find those relationships. Help us to find those times. Help us to find those people that have open ears and open hearts to, to speak truth to. We pray all this in your holy name. Amen.